Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. She said to her, go, my daughter. So she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. They answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, to whom does this young woman belong? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came and she has been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, May I continue to find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some of this bread and dip your morsel in the sour wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he heaped up for her some parched grain. She ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she got up to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, let her glean even among the standing sheaves, and do not reproach her. You must also pull out some handfuls for her from the bundles, and leave them for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She picked it up and came into the town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. Then she took out and gave her what was left over after she herself had been satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. 
Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay close by my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is better, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. Otherwise, you might be bothered in another field. So she stayed close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray for the sermon together. Dear Almighty God, I pray now that you would guide me and lead me and inspire me into your truth to speak good words that come from you for us. And I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Give us hearts to receive that good word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the second of two apologies today. The first, we've already dealt with. Okay, I'm sorry for starting late. The second, much more serious in some ways. I was told by a reliable source, who may or may not be my wife, that uh, there, there was a little grumbling last weekend at the women's retreat because I started a sermon series on the book of Ruth when most of the women were not here. And this, I was told, is, is a woman's book. And so why would you do that? And I felt like the biggest mansplainer ever. You know that word, mansplainer? Ask me about it afterwards. I, I felt like the biggest mansplainer. I, I started the book of Ruth without women. So I profoundly apologize. I would also just caution, I mean, if, if you grumble to the pastor's wife, the pastor will find out. <laughs> Maybe that was the point, okay? <laughs> Last week, the title of the sermon was Two Characters and The Character. Today, the sermon has the same title. I added the word again at the start so you wouldn't think I forgot to change the title. See what I did there? So we're going to do what we did last week, which I will remind you is, is a fraught business, is a dangerous business. And that is we're going to look at three characters in chapter two, and we're going to see what we learn from them about our lives, about the Christian life, and how they are examples to us. And I said it's fraught, it's dangerous last week because this is one of the most common ways I think that the Old Testament is misread. When people just read, and any and every character they come to, maybe who, any and every Israelite character, they say, all right, what do we learn about how to follow God? A lot of them are not following God in the right ways. So you got to be careful about who you take as an example. But I think there are good examples for us today. I need to set the scene a little bit like last week. we got to explain some stuff. So Ruth is desperate. She and Naomi are desperate. Review, end of chapter one, what happens? Naomi's husband die. Naomi's two sons die. One of them is Ruth's husband. Ruth follows her back to the land of Israel, but they are in dire straits. There is no money, no job, no ability to eat. So what is Ruth doing here? Ruth is, is going out and doing anything and everything she can to survive. And we got to talk about gleaning. Gleaning. 
So I often make this joke in Bible study, and it's kind of a joke. It's kind of not. I say to Sarah, say, when you get Prospero Farms up and running, and you've been farming for a while, you have to come back and teach us Bible studies. Because my biggest problem in some ways in understanding the Bible is that I am such an urbanite. I read things like Glean, and I'm like, what's Glean? Jesus uses a lot of agricultural parables And I need to spend some more time with agricultural people, I think, to fully understand what's going on. But for now, I'll just give you a little book knowledge, a little head knowledge. Okay, here's gleaning. Gleaning. Gleaning was the way that the poor were provided for in ancient Israel. And here's basically what it meant. So the harvesters or the reapers here, they would go through the fields. They would cut off the stalks of grain and some would fall to the ground. They were instructed by God's law not to be perfectionists and not to be totally efficient in this process. They were to let what fell to the ground stay on the ground. Why? Because the poor were then allowed to come and pick up that grain off the ground and to use that for themselves. Moreover, there's another provision. I've got all of these on your handout. So what I just described comes from Leviticus 19:9 through 10 and also Leviticus 23:22. The second provision I would draw your attention to, Deuteronomy 24:19. Moreover, another way that the poor were provided for at this time is there were laws that said you can't be totally efficient and harvest all the way up to the edge of your field. You got to leave a little. You got to leave a little so that there's some for the poor to come in and provide for themselves. So that's gleaning. Yeah, there's modern day gleaners. So gleaners in a modern day context, they will go to places like Starbucks. When I worked at Starbucks, there there were gleaners that came and they will say, can we have the food that is left over at the end of the day to take to a food bank to help provide for the poor? It's basically leftover food that can then be used to provide for the poor. That's what's happening in our chapter. And Ruth is throwing herself into it. She's been working on her feet all day Apparently, it's really, really hot. Again, I have never done this. I can only imagine Boaz, when he gives her all of this gracious kindness, which we're going to talk about, says, help yourself to the water. She's thirsty. She's tired. There's something that's interesting here, though, about gleaning, about Ruth gleaning. She's throwing herself into it. She's doing it in Boaz's field. There's two things interesting, actually. The first is she still has to seek permission which has always confounded people. Why is she asking for permission if she's allowed to do this? And there are two suggestions. I don't know which one is right. They're both interesting for our purposes. One is, look, people don't always do what they're supposed to. People don't always follow the law. There are probably landowners that are like, yeah, I know what the law says, but get out of here, you poor person that wants to glean. Probably some of those. The other possibility is that as we're reminded four times that Ruth is a Moabite, Ruth is a foreigner. We talked about that some last week. We'll talk about it more next week, the significance of that. That means Ruth may well be outside of the provisions of the law, at least in the eyes of some people. That's how desperate she is. So she has to ask permission. The second interesting thing is that She seems, at least according to our text, and we're going to talk about this a lot, she seems to end up in Boaz's field by chance, by accident. Our art version, the NRSV says, as it happened. 
The New Jewish Publication Society translation says, as luck would have it. So one question we need to ask is, was it luck? Hold that thought. We get a new character. We get Boaz. Boaz seems to be a really godly man. He comes back from Bethlehem. He greets his reapers and says, the Lord be with you. And they say, the Lord bless you. There's apparently at least uh, on a surface level, some acknowledgement and culture of following God on this farm. I agree with commentators who say it's not just a surface level. There has to be some sort of deep significance to his words, because as we mentioned last week, this is a book that doesn't have a ton of direct mention of God and God's action. You have to find it more indirectly, and that's going to be part of what we do today. So Boaz is a godly man, and he instructs his men not to touch Ruth. This is probably what? Probably evidence for just how bad things were at the time of the judges. We talked about that last week, the lawlessness that's going on. Boaz, even in this godly culture, in this situation of the Lord bless you, the Lord be with you, has to say to his men, oh, and also don't assault that woman over there. He does. And then he lavishes Ruth with kindness upon kindness upon kindness. She returns to Naomi with an ephah of barley, which has been estimated to be somewhere between 29 and 50 pounds, depending on what you consult, who you consult. So she's got a surplus of barley. And this is even after she's eaten until she was satisfied and had some left over. All right, three characters. First, Boaz. I called this two characters in the character again. I could have called this three words. And I'm going to do a little more Hebrew today because there are reasons I've got to do it in Hebrew. First word for Boaz, the word for Boaz, which you have here on your handout, is this word, kanaf, kanaf, kanaf. And now the reason I have to do this in Hebrew is it appears twice in the book of Ruth, and it means very different things in the two instances. And it is fascinating, and I think critical for us to appreciate how the word works. To set this up, let's talk about providence. You know what providence is? Providence is a word we don't really think about very much. When you read about providence in, in, in theology books and Bible commentaries, what it's referring to typically is the way that God works in the world in what? Ways that are not overt and evident and marvelous. You have to have eyes of faith to see God working in this way. Oh, he's working but you have to have eyes of faith to see it. So in the Bible, there are moments where there are some narratives that are more reliant and emphasizing providence than others. There's a lot of times when God just comes in directly and speaks audibly and acts visibly. There are other times where there are whole stories, whole chapters, even whole books like the book of Ruth, where there's just not as much direct action by God and you need eyes of faith to see. Ruth is a book like that. The story of Joseph in Genesis 37 through 50 is like that. In fact, it says, as I mentioned earlier in verse 3, as it happened or as luck would have it. So is it luck or is it providence is what that little phrase gets us to ask. 
Is it luck or is it providence? Let me tell you a modern day parable to help us answer that question. You may have heard this before. This is like a go-to modern day parable for sermons. I think I've heard it a few times in my life. I'll put my own riff on it. I don't know exact form, it varies, okay? But it goes something like this. There is a man who is drowning in a flood. And he cries out to God and says, God, save me. Save me from drowning. And as he's finishing that prayer, flailing about, he looks over and a log floats by. And he lets it float by. And he says, nope, not going to get on that log. The Lord will save me. Continues to pray and a boat approaches him with a man driving the boat and says, let me help you. Get in. You're drowning. The man who's drowning says, nope, not going to do it. The Lord is going to save me. Finally, a helicopter comes by, lowers a ladder to him, says, let me take you to safety. The man says, nope, not going to do it. The Lord is going to save me. And the man drowns. That's how providence works. First point, when we see Ruth ending up somehow by accident, by chance, in the field of this man named Boaz, if you read it in the context of the broader story and the way God seems to be working, both in the Old Testament and the New and in this book, I think it's clear that what you have to appreciate is that it is God himself that is saving Ruth but he's doing it through Boaz. He's doing it through Boaz. Let's now talk about this little word, kanaf. Ruth 2.12 says this. This is Boaz speaking. May the Lord reward you for your deeds and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. And our word, kanaf, is the word that is translated in English as wings. So here's what's going on. Boaz is praying for her. May the Lord reward you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord bring you under his wings to provide for you. Now here's what's interesting. That same word's going to come in in chapter 3. Let me read 3 verse 9 for you. Boaz says, who are you? And Ruth, she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin. And the word translated cloak there is kanaf, the same word that was translated wings. Do you see the point? This is fascinating. I, put it, I would put it something like this. Sometimes we have to be the answer to our prayers. That's what Boaz does. Boaz says, the Lord bless you. The Lord provide for you, my daughter. Let him take you under his wings. And Ruth basically comes back and says, um, can you go ahead and, and cover me up like you prayed for? And you know what? Boaz can and does do that. And it's just a remarkable lesson for us to learn that sometimes 
we may be called to be the answer to our prayers. One of my favorite preachers that I've heard is a man named Tony Campolo. Brilliant speaker, brilliant preacher. Heard this story about Tony Campolo one time. Fits in nicely with this idea of us being the answer to our own prayers. He was asked to speak at a church, and before he went up, someone said to him, so after you give your message, could you, if, if you remember, could you please try to announce that so-and-so in the congregation has, has a real need financially. We need to raise $500 to try to help her, and we want to take a, a special offering. Would you announce that? So he goes up to speak, and he finishes up, and he remembers to do that, but he doesn't do what they asked. He said, I've been asked to initiate a special offering today, $500 that we need to raise for this woman. You know, um, oh, I did the story wrong. I did the story wrong. I did the story wrong. He was asked to lead, uh, lead the group in prayer for the woman who had the need. He was asked to lead the group in prayer. And he said, I'm not going to lead us in prayer. Instead, we're going to do a special offering. We're going to raise $500 right now. And they did. And that is Boaz. That's Boaz. Let's talk about Ruth. Second Hebrew word, the word chesed. And yes, I did that correctly. I'm not very good with sounds in other languages, but I'm pretty sure I did chesed correctly. All right, what is chesed? The reason I got to do it in Hebrew, it's hard to translate. It's one of those hard to translate ones. And it gets translated again in different ways at different points in the Old Testament. Sometimes, a lot of times it's kindness. A lot of times it's Mercy, my favorite is loving kindness as a single word. Why? Because that's a weird word that we don't use. So when you read loving kindness, it means, oh, there's some deep concept here that doesn't quite come over in English that I got to wrestle with. Loving kindness. Let's talk about Hesed. So in chapter one, verse eight, Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, I have this on your handout, go back each of you to your mother's house May the Lord deal kindly, chesed, deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord deal kindly with you because you have shown me that same kindness. That's what she says to him. In verse 20 of chapter 2 today, Naomi says this to Ruth. Blessed be he, she's talking about Boaz. Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Here's the point. In chapter one, Ruth is the giver of chesed. She's the giver of kindness. She's the one that's kind to her mother-in-law after she loses her husband and sons. In chapter two, Ruth is the receiver of kindness from Boaz. The simple point I want to make today that I think this challenges us to appreciate, if we're doing character analysis and we're looking at godly character like Ruth, here's what I think one thing we learn from her is. We've got to be both givers and receivers. 
I found something surprising in my first year of being pastor. By the way, we had my, my one-year anniversary last week. Yay. Yay. Just shamelessly initiated clapping for myself. Okay. One year in. Here's one thing I've learned. Here's one thing I've learned. People have a hard time receiving. That surprised me. You know, I thought people would have a hard time giving. People in this church, at least, do a great job of giving. People have a much harder time receiving. What we're learning from Ruth here is you really actually have to do both. Ruth gives Hesed, Ruth, Ruth receives Hesed. We went to Park Street Church for many years, and we were part of a small group there. And early in our marriage, Quincy and I, we were part of a small group. This was a time in life. It was a brief time. It was a time in life when we had money. <laughs> I was a corporate lawyer for all of 10 months. It was great. And there was, a small, there was a couple in our small group that shared that they needed prayer because they were going through a financially difficult time and they didn't have the money they needed to pay for certain expenses. Please pray for us. And we did what Tony Campolo counseled and taught me to do. We wrote a check to that couple. I think it was for $500 and gave it to them. Maybe five years later, I am a grad student trying to live off a stipend of $25,000 a year for a family of four to pay for everything. And there were expenses that we could not pay. Someone from that same small group different couple, sends us a check in the mail. And I think, I'm not positive, it would make the story perfect. If, I'll be honest, I don't remember. I think it was for $500. And the thing is, yes, it's more blessed to give than receive. I put that down on your handout. That, that's Acts 20.35. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. But here's what I want you to understand. That doesn't say that it's not blessed to receive. And it doesn't say it's not necessary to receive, right? It says it's more blessed to give than receive, but there have to be receivers if there are going to be givers. So we talk a lot, this is buzzword today, community, community, community is all everyone talks about. And I get frustrated because people don't really unpack what they mean and why that's important. Oh, I said unpack. I'm sorry, Carol. I'm sorry. Carol hates the word unpack. People don't explain or elaborate upon what they mean. Why is community so important? And there's a lot we could say, but let me just say a couple of things. Without other people, some sort of community in your life, you really can't exercise much love. You just can't. I mean, you can't really just kind of love yourself. You have to express love towards another person. Without other people in your life in an intimate way, you can't forgive. And without other people in your life with needs, you can't exercise this kind of giving, this kind of love, this kind of chesed, this kind of provision like Boaz does. We need each other so that we can grow in Christian discipleship. That requires receivers as well as givers. I don't think we'd have the book of Ruth if Ruth didn't allow Boaz to provide for her in the way that she did. 
It wouldn't, it, the story wouldn't get off the ground. So much of what happens in this story is Ruth following God faithfully, and part of that following God is allowing herself to be the recipient of grace. Third and final character, God. Got another Hebrew word here. Barak. No, I am not getting political. We are not talking about Barack Obama. Barack in Hebrew means to bless. Last week, I called it two characters in the character, capital T, capital C. I called it the same thing this week. I didn't explain it that much last week. I want to explain it a lot more this week. Why am I setting God apart as sort of not just another character, as someone that's different in a profound qualitative way? We got to set this up by talking about Boaz. Boaz is pretty amazing here. Okay, Boaz is pretty amazing here. Ruth, I've said four times, is called Moabite or foreigner. This is someone that others don't love. And here's what Boaz does with someone that you don't love. He provides her protection. He provides her community. He says, join with my women. He provides her water. He provides her a meal with himself. And he provides her with a surplus of material provision for herself and Naomi. Here is how radical that is. On your handout, I've put Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 5. Now listen carefully to this. We talked about this a bit last week. This is in the law. It says, no Ammonite or Moabite. Ruth is a Moabite. No Ammonite or Moabite shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Now listen to this next part. Even in the 10th generation, none of their descendants shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord because they did not meet you with food and water on your journey out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Yet... The Lord your God refused to heed Balaam. The Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. See the radicality of what Boaz is doing? The law says, don't let the Moabites in because they didn't provide you with food and water. So what does Boaz do? He provides Ruth, the Moabite, with food and water. Why does he do it? Why does he do it? He does it because he has heard of her chesed, her loving kindness to Naomi. He's heard all that she's done. And he says, that struck a chord with me. That motivates me. That causes me to bless you, to exercise the same love to you in return. And as wonderful and radical as that is, that Boaz is doing, I, I want to suggest that it pales in comparison to what God does for us every day. See, here's why. Boaz does it backwards from the way that God does it. Boaz hears about how Ruth has blessed Naomi and he blesses her generously as a response. But see, God does it the other way. 
God doesn't bless us as a result of us blessing others. God just blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. He doesn't wait on our blessing of others, like what motivates Boaz. And then if we dig deeper and we think about how this works, it's, it's, it's really amazing if we compare Boaz's love to God's. So quick mental exercise. Try to think of the most sacrificial loving kindness act of generosity and love someone exercised towards you in, say, the last year. Now hear these words. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See the point? What that is saying is, if I'm understanding this rightly, if I'm paraphrasing it rightly, it's saying, take that thing that you thought of and multiply it by 10, by 100, by 1,000, by 10,000. Your love is only ever going to be an imperfect reflection of the deeper love that God has for you. Let's take it back to the language of our passage. I mean, I think that's the, that's the message of this passage. Going back to Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 5, it says, God turned the curse into a blessing for you. That is exactly a summary of what Jesus did on the cross. He turned the curse into a blessing for you. Verse 14 of Ruth 2 says, she ate until she was satisfied and she has some left over. Where do we see that in the New Testament? That same language, ate until they were satisfied and had some left over. Feeding of the 4,000, feeding of the 5,000. You see the point? If you really pressure the language of what's going on here, Boaz is acting with the loving kindness of God, but he invites us to see how much greater is God's loving kindness. Boaz gives bread that gives her life. Jesus gives us what we say every week, true bread. Boaz could never give that sort of bread. Boaz gives her water. What does Jesus promise the woman at the well in John 4? True water, living water that will well up to eternal life. So as we come to the table today, let us appreciate afresh that the words that I'm about to say testify to God's love that we could only ever begin to comprehend. Amen.